All right, welcome to another edition of White Collar Crimes, the podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I am Ryan Horn, your host. Great to have you aboard as always. If you're listening in Florida, hope uh, things are getting better for you down there. Those of you that have been victimized by Hurricane Ian, our thoughts and prayers on this show are with you. Uh, Wife and I did live in Florida for about a year. And, uh, you know, we didn't get hit with a hurricane. At one time, there was one actually headed the way our way, and it ended up going up the coast and missing Florida. But I know what concern it causes when one's even, you know, predicted, let alone to be hit with one. So, again, thoughts and prayers go out to you folks there. Hopefully things pick up for you here very soon. You know, lately on the show, last few weeks, for a good part, we've talked about some uh, securities frauds, uh, you know, stock manipulation, things of that sort. Things uh, last week we talked about Martha Stewart and how a little involvement in that landed her a little short little stint in federal prison. And tonight's or today, depending on when you're hearing this uh, episode, is no different. We're going to focus on one we told you about recently, a big one from the 80s and early 90s, a man by the name of Michael Milken. Some of you might remember his name in the news, involved in you know a lot of white collar crimes and things of that sort. And he was another one of the Many in the 80s, the uh, security fraudsters and uh, folks that were caught up in a lot of the, you know, crimes that the SEC was cracking down on at that time. And uh, he was uh, one that got his start. Well, first of all, he ended up, uh, he grew up in a middle-class Jewish family in California, attended uh, UC Berkeley, which I, we have a listener, a former guest on this show even that is a graduate of uh, their law school actually uh, she may even be listening to this right now um, but he graduated from uh, University of California Berkeley later got his MBA from the Wharton Business School which is a pretty elite uh, business school my understanding I think uh, former President Trump was a graduate of that school at one time and a lot of big business names you've seen come through there and you know he was no different Mr. Milken graduated from there as well and then he uh, began working for an investment bank in the late 60s. And uh, later, the famous uh, Drexel Company, he went to work for them. And he did pretty well in high-yield bonds. That was his big thing back then. And uh, he was earning, at one point, uh, he became a millionaire pretty early on, late 60s and by early mid-70s or so. He was uh, making millions a year, which, you know, back then when you're talking... 40-something, 50-plus years ago, That's uh, that was a lot of money. Even now it is, but especially then. So, yeah, by the 1970s or so, he's a millionaire. And by the 1980s, he was willing and dealing uh, with some pretty major clients, some pretty major corporations, and uh, some pretty major you know, individual investors were doing business with him and making money on the high-yield bonds that he was pitching. And uh, it was later revealed, though, that he had actually been on the SEC the uh their radar since about the late 70s or so again you know a few years after he's hit it big he uh pops up on their radar and uh and that's of course the security exchange commission they uh you know kind of police the stock market and uh investing and things like that in the united states and uh they you know are the kind of the enforcement wing of that and they he got on their radar again as far back as about the late 70s now, he was suspected of a lot of illegal and unethical behavior in dealing these high-yield bonds. So, 
you know, and that's something to keep in mind. Even if it was unethical, it doesn't necessarily mean it was illegal. You know, I have a friend that's now a retired public defender, and he used to bring up that question a lot. I'd have him as a guest speaker in some of the uh, criminal justice classes that I adjunct for, and, you know, and he'd always say that, you know, it's in the legal system, it's not always a matter of, you know, if it's right or if it's wrong. It's a matter of sometimes if just if it's legal. You know, something can be wrong or immoral and not necessarily be illegal. You know, I talk about that to the criminal justice classes that I teach, actually. You know, a uh, good example I give is in here in the state of Illinois, a lot of fireworks are actually illegal. And every 4th of July, people cross the river into Missouri, near where I'm at, and load up at a uh, big fireworks store about an hour and a half or so from here, and they bring them back and, you know, and unload and have nice parties. You know, I don't think these people are depraved Jeffrey Dahmer level criminals, but, you know, technically have they broken the law? Sure. You know, now does this mean they're immoral and, you know, uh, you know, banished from heaven forever and committed an unpardonable sin? Absolutely not, you know, but technically it is still illegal. And there's other things that uh, most people would agree, agree, even if they are actually legal, but, you know, they are immoral, you know, strip clubs, pornography, things like that. You know, you can commit some acts that are illegal and still end up, you know, being okay by law. Well, that's the case, uh, you know, with some of the things he was doing. But at the same time, it was reported he was also involved in some illegal activities. And his real problem began with former partner Ivan Boski. Now, if you remember him, we talked about him just a few weeks ago, and we did his story. Of course, as I pointed out, he was the inspiration for Gordon Gecko, the greed is good character that Michael Douglas played in the movie Wall Street, and the sequel, actually. And, you know, he did pour, uh, make a very similar statement to that, and it's quoted on that episode. And if you missed that one and you're not familiar with Boski's story, please go back in just a few weeks and... Uh, Pull up that podcast we did on him, and uh, you can kind of get educated on that one and give you a little insight here because he was kind of well-connected to uh, Mr. Milken. And that's when, again, Milken's trouble started to, you know, begin because as I pointed out in the podcast on Bolsky, you know, when the, uh, the gig was up on him, that's when he began to, as they say, sing like a canary and started to kind of save his own hide, and he... Uh, squealed on a lot of people to get himself less time, which uh, I pointed out then, that's not uncommon in our criminal justice system, whether it's rich, poor, or whomever, you know, defendants of all types do that, and, you know, these folks are no different, and uh, that's when Bolsky began to uh, squeal a little bit and, you know, tell a little bit about his connections that he had had to Milken, and he began to implicate Milken in several crimes, including stock manipulation, fraud, and some other securities-related offenses. You know, and again, we pointed it out. Bosky was involved in a lot of securities fraud, uh, you know, some, you know, real estate scams, things like that. And uh, most likely Milken involved in, you know, a lot of the same type of things he was. You know, they were uh, partners in crime, so to speak. And it's around that time, uh, his company, the Drexel Company, was also facing some civil action from the SEC. So, you know, he's got it worried about it two ends, you know, civil and criminal action. And as I always point out on this podcast, you know, civil action a lot of times is where probably more justice is done concerning white collar crimes than actually in the criminal justice system and in the criminal courts. Because a lot of times, the only time justice is ever done in these cases is when somebody is uh, brought up and, you know, sued in civil court and they end up uh, losing a lot of money they have to pay. Of course, as I also point out frequently on this podcast, these uh, white-collar offenders don't always pay what they're uh, ordered to pay by court, you know, as far as restitution and monies to victims and things like that. But, uh, 
it is the best chance, you know, because for one, the lower uh, level of evidence it's required in civil court. You know, civil court just requires pre preponderance of evidence, which means if it's more likely true, it's, you know, more likely true than not, then that person's guilty. Whereas we know in criminal court, the standard of proof is much higher. You have to have a proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which I've always been tra trained and educated if that means well over 90% in, you know, in your mind. So that's what you're dealing with where, you know, when you're talking about preponderance of evidence, if the scales tip one way more than the other, then yeah, that person's guilty and they are, uh, they're held liable. So they're facing a little civil action in that time. And like I said, he's already on their radar for, uh, unethical and possibly even criminal behaviors. But Drexel as a company as a whole denied any illegal activities. Now, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, uh, led New York during the you know terrorist attacks on 9-11-2001, and he was also a very famous federal prosecutor. He put away uh, Leona Helmsley. We did one on her you know, a little while back, the Queen of Mean, as she was known, and uh, he prosecuted her for tax fraud. Um, he put away a lot of mobsters back in the 1980s using the uh, RICO statute, so... Uh, Maybe someday down the road we may do a little bit on that too because, you know, that does connect to white-collar crime in a sense, some of the financial crimes that the mafia was involved in. So who knows, we might do a little podcast on that coming up down the road a little ways. But anyway, uh, Giuliani had uh, ramped up some of the efforts to, uh, you know, focus the laser more a little bit on Milken. So Milken and his attorneys began to uh, do a little negotiating and plea bargaining, you know, kind of just like his pal uh, Ivan did just a little bit ago. And as I said, you know, that's not really that uncommon, whether you're talking about criminal defendants or, you know, uh, these white-collar criminals. They all seem to do that in one way or another. Um, eventually, though, uh, many in the firm began to also face charges themselves. Now, as I said, Drexel as a whole denied any wrongdoing, but... Uh, Things were starting to catch up to them, as it always does, and, you know, more people began to squeal on each other, and, you know, uh, investigations turned up more wrongdoing, and uh, it did finally catch up to Milken. In March of 1989, he was indicted on a whopping 98 counts. I mean, that's a lot of counts. Uh, and these included uh, fraud and racketeering, which, you know, racketeering is, you know, just an illegal racket, so to speak, to be involved in, you know, in a sense. It's just, you know, an illegal coordinated scheme uh, to make an illegal profit. And, uh, you know, it's easier uh, to define probably than sometimes to prove. But, uh, you know, we do know, speaking of RICO, talked about that just a second ago. You know, that's a federal statute that was put in to, uh, you know, make it a little easier to prosecute crimes like this for, you know, running organized uh, illegal criminal enterprises. And, that's what they, you know, went after Milken for on this. And one charge actually alleged that uh, Ivan Boski, once again, had paid uh, Mr. Milken over $5 million for a share of the profit. So, I mean, I guess pay-to-play uh, exists even in illegal securities exchanges that were uh, going on at this time in the, you know, mid-late 80s here we're talking about, or late 80s at this point. So, uh, you know, again, that connection to Boski, who, you know, as we knew, for, talked about from a few weeks ago, eventually went down. Now, he only did a few years in prison himself, but, uh, you know, he did nonetheless eventually get taken down. And, uh, you know, his greed was, you know, unparalleled almost because he's, you know, the one that famously uh, 
inspired that quote and character from uh, the Michael Douglas character in the Wall Street movie. But uh, once charged, uh, like I said, they alleged that his connection was, you know, Tobolsky paying to play, so to speak, to get a cut of the uh, illegal profits. And uh, finally, Milken resigned from Drexel, and that was supposedly a possibly prearranged deal that he had with them, that if he was going to be criminally indicted, he was to step down from his position in this company. Now, he would go on supposedly right after this before... The charges got too hot and serious. He would actually start a firm of his own, which is, you know, pretty gutsy, I would think. I mean, of course, you know, again, information didn't travel as quickly as it does now. Somebody now under federal indictment like that, if they resigned and hurried up and tried to start one, it'd be all over Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and, uh, you know, emails and texts and everything. And this, this information would travel around the world in seconds so people would know what he was up to and be on to him. But, you know, in the late 80s, 30-something years ago, you know, these things just didn't exist, like I just said, and it was a little easier to fly under the radar, and quite possibly that is what he did. But on April 24th, 1990, uh, he did finally plead out guilty to six counts of securities and some tax violations. Now, three of those, again, these violations were connected to Boski. He just seems to have a connection to him, which, you know, if you remember when I did the podcast on Bolsky a few weeks ago, I did say that, you know, it was going to, uh, you know, you know, Milken was mentioned in that a time or two, and, you know, more coming on him later, and the connection that the two had, and, uh, you know, they were partners in crime, or partners in slime, the way you look at it, but uh, nonetheless, three of these were connected to Bolsky, and two were connected for tax evasion, which, you know, he's certainly not the first rich and powerful man to, uh, you know, be brought down and go to prison over taxes. You know, we talked about all the way back in Al Capone's days, you know, it wasn't uh, Elliot Ness and the, you know, freedom, uh, you know, crime-fighting untouchables that brought him down. No, it was the IRS, you know, they brought him down for tax fraud, and that's what ended up locking him up, you know, despite the, you know, horrible amount of violent crimes he was responsible for. He never did any time for that. He actually, uh, you know, only did time about 11 years, I think, for you know, tax evasion. And, uh, you know, same with Leona Helmsley. She was, uh, you know, a real estate giant in New York, but, uh, you know, not paying the tax man got her a few years in prison and destroyed her reputation. She died basically a, you know, lonely, mean old woman. And of course, you know, just a few weeks ago, not too long ago, a few weeks, a month or so ago, we did one on uh, Wesley Snipes and his story, the actor, how, you know, he was riding high in the 90s and early 2000s, but Failure to pay the tax man, uh, you know, got him a couple few years in prison as well. And, uh, you know, so, you know, a lot of rich and powerful do end up going. And, uh, you know, he's certainly not the first. But, you know, and that wasn't all that took Milken down. Because, as I said, he was involved in some pretty shady uh, securities deals and things like that with Mr. Bosky. But, nonetheless, uh, this did help bring him down. And he was eventually sentenced to two years in prison, which is, you know, pretty short for most things, but at, at the same time, it's pretty common in this, and, you know, like I said, Wesley Snipes just did a couple few years, and uh, same with Leona Helmsley, and, uh, you know, uh, Ivan Bosky, if I remember right, did maybe about three years or something or so, or maybe even less, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, it wasn't too terribly long that he had to do, and, you know, oftentimes they don't, you know, despite stealing millions of dollars from people and, you know, manipulating and destroying, you know, uh, financial futures and families and careers and on and on and on most of them do very little time for it you know sometimes nowhere near people that commit you know property crimes or drug crimes or things like that that 
you know, maybe, uh, you know, harm a small number of people, but not certainly on large number of scale that a lot of these white collar criminals offend on. But nonetheless, uh, you know, having a lot of money can buy a lot of influence and power even in the court system and can get you a little bit of less time. And uh, that's certainly what happened here. And, you know, he ended up doing about two years. And after his release in 1993, he did, uh, like I've talked about so many times from so many other ones on here, he did intend to uh, clean up his image a little bit when he gets out of prison, which, you know, if you've got money and, you know, influence like he had, then, uh, you know, that's a little bit easier to do. And most of them that do have this kind of money do, you know, try to do a little damage control to reassert their reputation and, you know, get back in society's good graces. And he started a research fund for prostate cancer. And supposedly uh, to this day, I think, is still doing, you know, a lot of charitable work like that, which is a good thing. You know, I'm not taking that away from him, certainly. You know, I mean, even though he is a white-collar criminal and, you know, did his prison time, uh, if this can actually help with research and, you know, help make some strides in developing ways to combat prostate cancer, you know, say, you know, good on him. Hopefully, uh he can turn something negative around into a positive here but uh nonetheless he did uh attempt to clean up his image as i said as a lot of them do and uh some other charitable works he had done apparently uh did get him a uh you know a building public health building named after him at george washington university and like i said i always have to laugh when one of these uh happens like that because another friend of mine that has a podcast you can catch greg ulinchich's uh podcast you can't state the obvious also on anchor fm here and uh we always laugh about the scene from the 1980s rodney dangerfield movie back to school where you know he donates a lot of money to the college and in favor to that they start the thornton mellon school of business you know and overlook him going to school there and flunking out and clowning around and a lot of other things but you know money can uh buy a lot of power and influence like that you know we always laugh when a building's named after someone like that but yeah he uh george washington university apparently did not care about his uh past violations and things like that because you know they named a building after him now like a lot of these securities uh, offenders that we've talked about he cannot legally participate in the securities industry again he uh is unable to uh be licensed or anything like that and you know due to regulations and the felony conviction will certainly eliminate him from dealing in that business although you know we know far too many times in this line of work they always seem to you know just work from you know behind the scenes as a consultant quote unquote and you know still be able to pull strings and if you have the money you can still you know set up a company and have somebody as a front or a figurehead run things you know from the legal standpoint while behind the scenes you know you're calling all the shots and pulling all the strings that's most likely what he's still doing you know just throwing a guess out there i think just like a lot of them just because they lose the license doesn't mean they stop doing what they're doing you know you you know they still want to be involved in it kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, the movie Hoffa with Jack Nicholson, you know, where uh, Jimmy Hoffa says, you know, I'm going to do what I got to do to get back into union after he's uh, banned from life from part of a plea bargain deal. So I would say they find ways to get back into it, but uh, who exactly knows? So again, yeah, nothing's really to stop him from, you know, there's no legal restrictions on him working so much, say, as a consultant or behind the scenes, but who knows how much the influence actually really is. But, and all the convictions not hurt him, you know, his reputation, as we've seen, you know, he's still uh, 
getting buildings named after him. He's still worth a lot. In fact, uh, I think last I saw, according to Forbes or one of these, he's the 60th richest man in the world, you know. So, I mean, we're talking one of the top 100 richest men in the world still, despite all that, and still, you know, being out of prison now for almost 30 years. He was released in 1993, so still has a lot of wealth and influence, and, you know, with the time he has left on this world, you know, hopefully he'll continue to do it good if he can continue to work towards uh, helping prostate cancer and things like that. Again, you know, good on him, and hopefully that will uh, be something good and positive to come from it. So, well, we thank you for being in on this one. Um, if you, uh, again, want to have an idea for a show, you can always contact me on the Anchor FM page. You can email me at uh, ryanhornvt at gmail.com. You know, if you want to be a guest on this show, we've had that happen too. Certainly glad to have you uh, board on a guest. If you any topic you want to talk about, glad to have you on. Again, we've done it before and be glad to do it again. Uh, always glad to see if you can catch any of my uh, audiobook work. I've got one out right now on We Here. Have one soon. Any day now that is going to be released on uh, Beacon Audiobooks. That's one I'm looking forward to coming out and hopefully you can check out. And if you do want to, uh, you know, I'm always available to do any voiceover work for your business or project. You can check out my website at uh, ryan-horn.com. And as I always say, you know, adopt your next best friend at your local pet shelter. They need you now more than ever. And if you can't do that, donate some money or volunteer your time. But uh, as I said, the wife and I all five of our fur babies are shelter babies and you know it's just a joy that keeps on giving year after year and as I always always say on here too certainly look out for your friends and family especially the elderly they're often targeted for these white collar crimes look out for these hucksters and you know scam artists that are out there certainly plenty of them out there trying to take advantage of whomever they can so keep an eye out for each other and help us keep this show going and shining a light on these criminals who don't always get the scrutiny that they honestly should get. So, uh, again, take care. God bless everybody. We hope to see you back here again next week.